after after worship, uh, la, uh, the the last time I preached, which was two weeks ago, uh, John had asked me um, if this series of lessons about the teaching of Jesus were drawn from lessons that I've taught before, and I I told him that. You know, I've sort of made it a very specific point not to do that, not to resurrect outlines that I've preached from before on any of these texts, but try to come to each of these lessons that Jesus taught and try to see them with new eyes. And of course, it's impossible to do that entirely. You know, these are texts that I've read many times over the course of many, many, many years. And so it's, it's impossible not to bring something uh, to them when I read them. But it is amazing to me how much in reading these teachings of Jesus and preparing this series of lessons that we've been doing since the first of this year, how much I've been able to draw new thoughts and new insights from things that I've read dozens of times over the course of my life and it's just a reminder to me of the reality of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 when he talks about the word of God being alive and active and that it it penetrates even to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and that it cuts even to the deepest intents of our hearts And if we truly let God's Word do that, you know, if we try to to allow it to be alive as we read it, it is often amazing the things that we will discover even perhaps in texts that we've looked at any number of times. Beginning with this lesson and, and going into the next couple of times that I have the opportunity to to speak, we're going to be looking into lessons that Jesus taught on the last night that he was with his disciples during the course of his earthly ministry. And again, some of these are things that we, that we think about a lot, and some of the, the, the things that Jesus said on the course of that night are things that we you know, can quote from memory, many of us, and things that we know uh, very well. But I want to encourage us as we look at these uh, things that Jesus presented to his disciples. And not just disciples in general in the sense of followers, but those who were closest to him. You know, the twelve who had, had surrounded him during the course of the previous three years and had, had heard all of his teaching and had been had been uh, steeped in the wisdom that he had to share with them. But yet, these were the thoughts, these were the concepts, these were the ideas that he said, this is the last few hours that I have to impart these things directly to these men that I love so much. What do I want to say to them? What do I want to share with them? What are the things that are most important to me to leave with them in these last few hours that I have to be with them. 
And so we're going to begin, go ahead and throw up the first slide there, Nathaniel, in John chapter 13. And this is what we might describe as sort of the beginning of the end, as Jesus begins his, his last interaction with his, uh, with his apostles. John writes, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I want that last phrase to sit with us, not only through the rest of this lesson, but through the next several as we, as we present these things that Jesus presented to his apostles on that last night that all of the things that he said to them on this night came from the fact that he loved them to the end. That everything that he had to say to them, everything that he had to share with them, he wanted to say and he wanted to share because he loved them. And he knew the end was coming. And these were his final opportunities in the flesh, certainly not in the spirit, but in the flesh, these were his final opportunities to impart the words to them that they would need to carry with them for the remainder of their lives because he loved them to the end. And John continues, he says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now I just, I just want to stop there. I want us to get this picture in our heads. That here's Jesus on having this last meal with his disciples. And of course they don't know that yet. They don't yet know and understand that this would be the last time that they would be able to sit down, the, the 13 of them, and have a meal with Jesus. But Jesus knew it. And so during the course of the meal, perhaps as they were you know, finishing up the eating, John tells us that he got up from the table. And he took out, off his outer clothing and the way that they dressed in those times. You had a sort of a an inner garment like we would think of maybe like a t-shirt. And over that you wore a, a heavier garment like a robe. And so he took his robe off and essentially he's there in, in what we would think of as a t-shirt. You know, just sort of the, light, the lightweight inner garment that went between the robe and the skin. And he got a basin of water and a towel. Wrapped a towel around his waist, 
poured water in the basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel that he wrapped around his waist. The washing of feet was not an unusual custom in the place and in time in which Jesus and the apostles lived. People traveled in those days almost exclusively by foot. And they traveled not on what we would think of as roads, like the beautifully paved Brotherhood Way out here, but they traveled on dusty, dirty paths. If you were fortunate enough to have shoes, what you had were basically just open sandals. You know, a a sole and, and a couple of straps to hold it onto the foot. And many people didn't even have that. Many people simply went around without shoes, walked barefoot on these dusty, dirty paths. And so the custom was when you entered a house, there would be at the entrance a a pan of water that you could use to wash your feet so that you didn't track the dirt and the dust on your feet into the rest of the house. Now, if you walked into the house of someone who was prosperous and sufficiently prosperous as to have household servants, there would be a servant whose job it would be to wash your feet when you entered this house. Now, if you think about it, and as you can imagine, this was not a job that most servants coveted. If you were in a household of multiple servants and you were a servant and guests were coming over, you probably did not leap forward to volunteer to be the foot washer. You probably were not the first to throw up your hand and say, I'm going to wash all those dirty feet. This was a job nobody wanted. It was a job that was usually relegated to the servant of the least status in the house. Again, if if you were in a household that that had servants, this was the servant that got all the worst jobs, that got the job of washing feet. You can certainly understand why. And yet Jesus, having entered this room and having sat down, had a meal with his disciples, gets up, takes his robe off, and in his t-shirt, takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, gets a pan of water, and begins to go around the room and wash the filthy feet of these 12 men. And John tells us that he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now we can understand where Peter's coming from, right? Because the way that John phrases that when he says he came to Simon Peter, having already said he began to wash the disciples' feet, 
Peter was not the first person he came to. He'd already washed at least one or two other people's feet. And Peter has observed this. And when he gets to Peter, Peter is like, Lord, what are you doing? This is not a job for you. This is a job nobody wants to do. Why are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. But later, you will understand. We've, to we've talked oftentimes about how, how Jesus often threw what I like to call truth grenades at his disciples. He often threw things at them that didn't explode until later. You know, it wasn't until later that they, ah, yes, okay, now I, I understand what he said. I understand what he was doing there. And Jesus warns Peter, Peter, this is a truth grenade right here. You don't get right now why I'm doing this. But there will be a time later when you'll understand, ah, okay, I, I see what Jesus was doing with the, with the, with the washing of feet. I... I that, that time will come. But as we see from the narrative, Peter is not there yet. <laughs> because he says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Peter could not envision a circumstance under which it would be okay for Jesus, whom he regarded as Lord and Master, to get down on his hands and knees in his t-shirt with a towel and a pan of water, and wash his feet. Peter could not envision a circumstance in which that would be okay. He might envision a circumstance where he would be willing to wash Jesus' feet, but he could not fathom that this was a thing that Jesus would do to him. Nobody wanted to do that. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And if we think about those words, if we let that sentence resonate in our heads and we think back on some of the other things we have heard in the course of this series of lessons Jesus talk about, we might remember back to the third chapter of John and the conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. We had an entire lesson on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And you might remember Jesus saying to Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of what? Water and the Spirit. And so now Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, and what's the one thing you need in order to be able to wash? Water. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So we connect those two thoughts. Jesus saying, 
I have to wash you for you to have a part with me. And no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And we put those two thoughts together and we begin to see what Jesus is doing. We begin to see where he's coming from. Jesus is doing something symbolic to remind the disciples later, because remember he said, you don't get this right now. It'd be later that you understand this. He wasn't expecting them to figure it out tonight. But later, they would connect the dots in their head. Ah, when Jesus did the washing thing, he was making a symbolic reference to that idea of being born of water. And they would be able to connect those two thoughts. But again, Peter still not yet on the train. Which is okay. Jesus had said, you don't get this now. You'll get it later. But Peter, of course, never content to just be quiet and wait for that moment, kept talking as Peter was accustomed to doing. And he said, but Lord, in that case, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. If it's true, Lord, that you have to wash me in order for me to be part of you, then wash everything. Don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus said, and I want us just to think about this as he says it. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Though not every one of you. And then John interpolates right here, saying, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said, not everyone was clean. But Jesus here says to Peter, and as we get the picture from the last sentence that he says here, he's really talking to all of them, not just to Peter. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you, he said, are clean. Here's what we want to take away from this as we begin to let this circulate in our minds and as we begin to connect the dots. If we understand that when Jesus does this action of washing with his disciples, that he's connecting a thought back to the thing that certainly he had said to Nicodemus and no doubt had said to the apostles. That in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to be part of him who was the head of the kingdom, 
that they needed to be born of water. That is to say, they had to be thoroughly washed of water and the Spirit. Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean. And you are clean. What do we draw from that? First of all, we draw from that the fact that he's speaking to people who had been washed. Because he says to these 12 men, you are clean. Not every one of you, because one of you is going to betray me in a little bit here. But you are clean. You've been washed. Sometimes the argument that we get from people when we talk about baptism into Christ is... Well, we don't ever see the apostles being baptized. We don't have to see it because Jesus just said they were. Jesus said, those who've had a bath are clean and you are clean. Jesus tells us that the apostles had been washed. Now, they were washed in the baptism that John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, gave, which was a baptism that looked forward to the prospect of Jesus' death, but yet and still was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of submission to God, a baptism that prepared people for discipleship into Him who would bring the grace that that baptism was intended to connect with. So here, by Jesus' statement, we know these 12 men have been baptized. Some of them perhaps by John. Some perhaps by other disciples of John. Maybe some of them by Jesus himself. But all of them, Jesus said, had been washed and were clean. You are clean, he says. So we don't actually need to go to a passage of Scripture that shows us, here's Peter getting baptized. Here's John getting baptized. Here's Matthew getting baptized. Jesus tells us right here, you've been bathed, you're all clean. But, let's notice the other point that Jesus makes. If you've had a bath, you still need, even though your body in its entirety is clean, you still need to wash your feet. Why is that? If you've had a bath, and your body is clean, and you are clean, Jesus says, then why do you need to wash your feet? Well, if you think about that from a practical, practical perspective, you pretty quickly come up with the answer. Because your feet come into contact with the ground. And in those days, that meant your feet came into contact with dirty, dusty paths on which you had to walk 
either in bare feet or in open sandals. As you walked, your feet got dirty. Which is why when you entered somebody's house, they gave you a pan of water to wash your feet with. Or if it was a really nice house, they had a servant come and wash your feet. Because your feet touched the ground and got dirty. What does that tell us about the washing, that rebirth of water and spirit? Well, let's let Paul tell us in Titus chapter 3 as he expands on this thought. In Titus chapter 3, at verse 3, notice what Paul writes. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us, notice what Paul says here, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? No one can enter the kingdom of God unless what? He is born of water and the Spirit. What does Paul say? He saved us through the washing of rebirth. There's the water. And renewal by what? Or whom? The Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Paul just said there the same thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.5. When Nicodemus was told, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless having been born of water and the Spirit, Paul, looking back now, says that's how we became justified by grace. Through the washing of rebirth, there's the water, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. John and Peter, John and I mean uh, Paul and Jesus are talking about the same thing here. It is through that act of washing that we become heirs to the hope of eternal life. That's why Jesus says to his apostles, "You are clean," because they've been washed. But notice the next thing that Paul says. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you, you being Titus, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to, to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now, at first, blush, that might seem a little bit odd for Paul to say, I want you to 
tell, tell people to devote themselves to doing good. He's already said, that's not why we're saved. Go back to the beginning of that second paragraph. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. What's the next phrase? Not because of righteous things we had done. We are not saved because we do good things. We are saved, what's the next thing Paul says? Because of His mercy. So if we're not saved because we do good things, why does Paul tell Titus, I want you to stress to those who have been washed to devote themselves to doing what is good? Why does he tell them that? Why is it important if you've been washed and you're clean to devote yourself to doing what's good? And I want to suggest that it is because of what Jesus said to the apostles. Those who have had a bath need to wash their feet. You've been washed. You are clean, Jesus says. But your feet still get dirty. Which is what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. When he says, If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus said, you are clean. John says, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. But notice the next thing John says. Aha! If we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Yes, we are clean, but our feet still get dirty. Because we're still walking around on the filthy, dusty paths of the world. And if we think that just because we've been washed, and are clean, that our feet don't get dirty, John says we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We have to acknowledge the fact that yes, we've been washed. Yes, we are clean. But our feet still get dirty sometimes. But here's the beauty. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means when our feet get dirty, the Son of God takes off His robe, strips down to His t-shirt, gets a pan of water and a towel, and washes our feet. Just like He washed the feet 
of the apostles on that night. You are clean, Jesus told them, but I still need to wash your feet. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. You have been born again by water and the Spirit, but your feet still get dirty. And I, your Lord and Master, still need to wash them. If we confess our sins, John says, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, wash our feet again from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, if we say, but I've been bathed, I don't need to be washed anymore. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. And His Word is not in us. If we go about in the world with the big head, saying, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born of water and the Spirit, anything I do is okay. No, it is not. Your feet still get dirty. And you still need Him to wash them. Just as He washed you in that rebirth of water and Spirit. Yes, you are clean. You've been cleansed. But your feet still get dirty. And the only way to get them clean is to acknowledge that you got them dirty and to let Him wash them. Don't be a Peter saying, Lord, no, you're never going to wash my feet. You have to let Him wash. Now when Jesus had finished washing their feet, and notice, that conversation He just had with Peter did not stop Him from finishing the job. He still went around the room and washed everybody's feet. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. So now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So what does that mean? Remember the other lesson that we talked about where Jesus had that conversation with Peter. Peter said, Lord, my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, no. Seventy times seven. If I wash your feet, if I symbolically continue to cleanse your dirty feet of the mud that you track onto them, you have to wash each other's feet. 
That is to say, if somebody tramples their dirty feet on you, you wash them. You forgive them, even as I am forgiving you. I'm giving you an example that you should do as I've done for you. It's easy to look at this passage, and many people have, and take it literally and say, oh, Jesus means we're supposed to wash each other's feet. So when we come into worship, we get water, we take off our shoes and we wash each other. That is not what Jesus intended. We have to look deeper into the message to really grasp what he's saying. And if he's connecting this idea of washing with forgiveness, as we've seen, then when he demonstrates that he can still wash our dirty feet, even though we've been cleansed, then we have a responsibility to wash each other's feet. That when you track your dirty feet on me, I have to wash them. That is to say, when you wrong me, I have to forgive you. Why? Because I tracked my dirty feet on Jesus. And he washed mine. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as what? We forgive those who trespass against us. I'm giving you an example, Jesus says, that you should do as I've done for you. And later on, he would return to this theme. And we'll, we'll come back to John 15 in another lesson. But in John 15, he would say, later on in the same evening, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Laying down our life for someone else may not mean stepping in front of a bullet. May not mean putting our hand in the path of a knife. Laying down our life for another may mean laying down our pride long enough to forgive someone who hurt us. Who said something cruel to us who did something unfeeling to us. Laying down our life for someone else, showing them the greater love may mean getting over myself so that I can forgive you. Why? Because Jesus has loved me enough to forgive me. Love each other, he says as I have loved you. If I can wash your feet, then you can wash each other's feet. 
And lastly, Jesus would say to them, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. See, here's the thing. We are never going to be greater than our master. If he could be humble enough to wash feet, and we've already seen that washing feet doesn't mean literally washing feet. It's washing away the filth of sin through forgiveness. If he can forgive, then we can forgive. And it's not just enough to be able to say, I totally get that. Because Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you know them. That is not what he says. He says, now that you know these things, what? You will be blessed if you do them. It is not enough for me to acknowledge, yes, I need to forgive my brother or sister 70 times 7. That is to say the infinite number of times they need forgiveness. It's not enough for me to just know that. I have to do it. And there's the hard part. Because sometimes it would be easier to take off my shirt and wrap a towel around my waist and get a pan of water and wash the feet of somebody who's done a terrible wrong to me than it would be to forgive them. But Jesus does not let me off that hook. If I can forgive you, Michael, he says, then you also need to forgive. If I've let you trample me with your filthy feet and I have washed them, then you have to do the same thing for others. And it's not enough to know that you should. You actually have to do it. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus began with an object lesson. He loved them to the end, John tells us. And so the things that he says and does with them on this night are things that he says and does out of love, knowing this would be his last opportunity in the flesh to say and do these things. And one of the first things he does is he gives them this symbol of washing their feet. He tells them, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Just as he had said to Nicodemus, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the Spirit. But he also says those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet, for their body is clean. The fact that you've been washed in water, and renewed by the Holy Spirit, does not mean, as John reminded us in 1 John, that you still don't get your feet dirty. And those feet need to continue to be washed. 
Yes, you've been cleansed. Your body is clean. But you're still walking around in this dirty old world and your feet get dirt on them. And those feet need to be washed. We still need the forgiveness of Christ. Because we don't stop doing things that require forgiveness. He also says to his disciples, I have set you an example that you should do what I do. If I can wash your feet symbolically, Jesus says, you can wash each other's feet. If I can continue to forgive you, even though I've cleansed your body, when you continue to get your feet dirty, I keep washing your feet. You have to do that for each other. You have to keep washing one another's feet. You have to continue to forgive each other in the way that I continue to forgive you. And lastly, he says it's not just enough to know that that's the right thing. You're only going to be blessed if you do it. It is not enough to say, yeah, I get it. God forgave me. I need to forgive others. Soul. Knowledge is not enough. Action is what's necessary. Yes, I've been cleansed. I've been renewed by the washing of water and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. But when I get my feet dirty, I still need, as John said, to confess that dirt to the one who is faithful and just to forgive. And I also need when others get their feet dirty on me, to be willing to wash those feet, to forgive, even as Jesus washes me. I hope, I hope that you've seen this story in a new light. I hope that the truth grenade has gone off for you. That just as Jesus said to Peter, you don't understand this now, but you'll get it later. I hope that, you know, you've looked at this whole foot washing scene before, and now the grenade's gone off. And you've seen something here that you didn't see before. If so, glory to God. Because that's the bomb that went off for me over the last couple of weeks as I was reading this. I'm thrilled that we can share this insight together and I hope that we know that it only blesses us if we do it. If we carry that spirit of forgiveness with us when we go. And on the one hand, be grateful that even though we've been cleansed, our feet still get dirty, but Jesus keeps getting down there with his water and towel, keeps washing them. But now I have the challenge, I have the responsibility to wash the feet of everyone who gets them dirty on me. And I'm only blessed if I not just know that, but I do it. Carry that with you this week. Be grateful that you've been cleansed. But know that there's always more dirt coming. But thanks be to God, His Son washes our feet. Let's stand and we'll sing.